The world promises you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Good evening and welcome to this episode of Christ and Generation here on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. This is Christ and Generation. I'm your host, John Collin. For the next hour, we'll be running you through a moral issue today, as well as a topic of faith combined with Lexi Davina and testimonies from the youth in our area. But here joining me today over the phone lines is Father Paul Check of Courage. Father Paul, how are you doing? John, doing very well. Thank you for the invitation to be with you and your listeners. Certainly. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I mentioned that you're from Courage, which is an organization for those who are Catholics who want to remain in the faith but are outward about it. That you know, They say they've got these homes homosexual attractions and they still want to live chastely why don't you tell us what courage is all about sure well uh, perhaps we can just begin with a little bit of history the courage apostolate begins in the mind and heart of one of the successors of the apostles the servant of god terence cardinal cook back in 1980 when he was the cardinal archbishop of new york and cardinal cook recognized back then, that the Church needed something to offer people uh, on the topic of homosexuality more than the word no. That's the word I think that's most closely associated with the Catholic Church and homosexuality in the minds of many. So the Cardinal wanted to begin a ministry that would show that while, yes, there is a no to sinful behavior as there is to sin of all kind, there's a much larger yes that is offered uh, in the heart of Christ to men and women with same-sex attraction. And so he enlisted the help of the founding director of Courage, an oblate of St. Francis de Sales, Father John Harvey. And from a very modest beginning in Lower Manhattan, seven men meeting with Father Harvey formulated the goals of the Courage Apostle, which addressed themselves to chastity, uh, prayer, and uh, the sacramental life, and self-giving to fellowship and friendship and setting good example, all things that all Christians understand and are and desires to to, uh, to lead. And today we are probably in, I would say, 120, 130 of the U.S. dioceses and uh, about 15 countries total around the world, uh, ministering to men and women in this way, to family members, and, and we do a lot of uh, catechesis and clergy education also from our central office. Certainly, that sounds like a wonderful organization, one that has grown quite well uh, since its beginnings. So yes. what are the beliefs of courage? What what's this what's the mission of courage that it's got for those who experience same-sex attractions? Well, I, I think uh, John the way I'd like to try to answer that question is to look at something in the gospel. Uh, a moment in which our Lord poses a question and I think it's the most important question ever asked in human history and the question is who do you say that I am? Now, in that exchange with Peter and the Apostles, the question is directed towards the confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. But more, let's say, fundamentally, that is a question of identity. And it's a question that we all ask ourselves throughout life. I'm 56 years old, I'm still asking the question, uh, who am I? And uh, I think also uh, Christ is asking this question of us, as he did to Peter, 
and we are we are posing the question to, to, to the Lord, asking him to help us to understand who we are. There's a uh, probably the most quoted line from the Second Vatican Council. Who do you, uh, uh, Christ the new Adam fully reveals man to himself and his most high calling. And so our work, I think, is to help people to understand themselves completely and fruitfully and authentically in the light of grace. Certainly, to have same-sex attraction would be for someone a significant part of how they understand their own story, but I think when we look at the Gospel, we don't want to give things more weight than they deserve. We don't want to undervalue them, of course, but we don't want to overestimate them. And that's why the Courage Apostolate, I think, is very careful not to want to use words like gay or lesbian or homosexual as nouns, which tend to reduce people to uh, just one facet of their existence, and then I think really impede uh, a deeper understanding of one's identity. So I think our real work, John, is helping people to understand themselves as children of God, as as uh, disciples of the Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the fuller identity towards which the Gospel is calling us. Certainly, that's beautiful. And I love uh, what you just said, mentioning that don't reduce them down to just their sexual orientation, as Mother Teresa had said, don't call them homosexuals, call them children of God. But nonetheless, there are a lot of misconceptions that people Mm -hmm. have about the Catholic Church, and what its teaching is on those who experience same-sex attractions. Many look at it and see it. The Catholic Church is a hateful institution towards those who have these feelings. What types of misconceptions do you see in the media and in the progressive world nowadays? Well, um, let's let's go to, let's, let's again go to sacred scripture to try to understand uh, a, a way to answer that. Um, not that long ago, an unremarkable line from the Book of Genesis was, "Male and female, he created them in his own image and likeness. He created man." And so there are many things in that line, that God is the creator, that we are created beings, that human nature uh, has a twofold expression, male and female, and that we're created in the image and likeness of God, that something of what makes God, God passes into us. And we could add another thing, which would be that we are body and soul. Well, until very recently, that was an unremarkable line in sacred scripture. But today, it is actually probably the most controversial of all lines. And uh, I think that the the misconceptions that surround the Church's teaching on homosexuality will be clarified if we go back to this foundational text of our identity. There is no evidence to indicate that that God creates people uh, to be, quote, homosexual or gay. That's often asserted, but there isn't. Uh, empirical evidence to support that claim, uh, and that there is somehow in the uh, in the human condition something other than men and women, other than male or female, and then all of these different letters with which we are very familiar. Certainly there are people who experience uh, sexual feelings of different kinds and even confusion about their own sexual identity, but that doesn't mean that within the, the broader understanding of a human condition is uh, that that now uh, salvation history or the story of our, our, our identity has to be rewritten. 
so this is where I think we, we, we have the most confusion and where the greatest clarity can be found is going all the way back, back ab initio, all the way back to the beginning, which, by the way, just to finish this thought of something Jesus does in Matthew 19, when he says, from the beginning, when he's challenged on the question of divorce, which actually does have something to do with homosexuality, uh, he says, no, let's go back to the beginning and see what it was God intended, and then you'll be able to understand his wise and loving design. Beautiful. Uh, very well put, and you write how often bringing it back to what had God intended, whether it be uh, as early as Genesis or looking at the Gospels, that's definitely a way that we can kind of see what God had in mind for those who have same-sex attractions combined with the teachings of the Catechism. But yeah. uh, a point yeah. that I'd... Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted... I guess something I could add here is that... Um, clarify what I said about the divorce. Part of the problem with divorce is that one or two people enter into a subjective decision about what a marriage is or when a marriage isn't, and then they, are the, they define marriage rather than the Church, who is the custodian of the sacraments, looks at a, what appears to be a marriage, and in a case of a declaration of nullity, say, no, a marriage never arose. So actually, the prevalence of divorce, sadly, uh, within, the, within the culture, even among Christians and Catholics, is something that contributes to the confusion uh, about identity and the confusion of what we were speaking about. Male and female created them, and our Lord speaking about that in the nature of, of marriage. But with regard to the Church, John, she always makes this distinction, person, inclination, and action. And the person is always good for the reasons we've been thinking about, created in the image and likeness of God, redeemed by Christ's blood, invited to grace and glory. So that's the most important thing that we can say about any human being, and none of those things can ever be lost. We can, we can lose grace, of course, and we can obscure God's image within us because of, of sin, but what is foundational in our, our, our identity and our dignity will always be there. The inclination the Church teaches is out of harmony with the creation story. We could say it's a kind of a poverty. What, what nature intends to be there, the uh, natural orientation, man to woman, woman to man, is missing for some reason. Um, so we could think of that as a kind of poverty, something that's lacking, missing, um, and I'm not, that's not a moral judgment. We're just thinking about something that's not present by nature's design. And then the action is like all breaches of continence, grave matter. It's something that's gravely contrary to the virtue of chastity, but so are many other things as well. Certainly, and often, you know, you can't condemn someone who has these homosexual feelings, uh, who you know may or may not be living unchastely because the same thing happens with those who don't who are normal heterosexual but they still defy what chastity has uh intended for us well this is this is an important point which is to say that in our catechesis we want to be sure that we are consistent and clear and coherent and unified, universal in what we teach, lest it appear as though the Church is severe with one group of people, men and women with, who experience same-sex attraction or the homosexual inclination. No, you're, you're right to point out that uh, the, the, the sexual appetite can be misdirected in a number of different ways, and ways that will uh, also lead to uh, harm, great harm, to the human person. Certainly. Uh so one point that I'd like to bring up is that society 
uh, often often poses two options for church-going Catholics or even Christians uh, overall when they experience these homosexual inclinations. And what it seems to offer them is that either you can live in the shadows, uh, don't ask, don't tell type of option, or you can Mm -hmm. reject your faith and embrace the homosexual movement and basically kind of let go of your faith and accept your homosexual attractions. How is this belief that that society has, how is it wrong? Well, I think we want to avoid two extremes, which uh, neither of which is helpful. One would be a kind of isolation and uh, loneliness and radical separation from people based on a kind of shame or embarrassments or, or sensitivity, in other words, a kind of hiding. Uh, though maybe that has been part of our cultural history, it is it is um, uh, not part of of at least the church in her in her magisterial teaching that people are somehow to be set apart and and uh, ashamed of the way that they feel. So that's that's one thing to be avoided. The other thing to be avoided would be to take on a uh, 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 a false identity um, um, by saying, look, this, this is who I am in the core of my being, mm-hmm. and this is the way that I see myself, and therefore you must see me this way. That, that also is not helpful, because as we have been thinking about, it's not... Um, it, it, it doesn't follow from what sacred scripture tells us in our story. So neither one of those, I think, are things that the church encourages. The uh, the church uh, actually looks at this thing with great maternal charity and and and, and, and pastoral sensitivity, and she says uh, we need a community. We need an understanding of a life together in common with Christ at the center that helps us to know ourselves authentically uh, in, in harmony and peace with those who have some similar experience or understand the question so that we can find our way forward to Jesus. Now, it's true that unlike, say, AA or other kinds of programs like that, our meetings are not open. Uh, there are ways for people to come to us but we don't post the dates and locations of meetings because uh, we want there to be a protection in peace for co- in confidentiality uh, and trust for our members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of the sensitivity of this, I think, uh, John. But uh, that that's that there's that's not for that's not for the sake of shame. It's for the sake of uh, a, a tranquility. That the, the people who are looking to the church for help will feel, so that they they do not become a spectacle, which which of course they don't want to. Certainly, and very well said on you know what the church puts forward and what kind of society puts a shadow over. Now, you'd mentioned the point that you know all people are called to a life of chastity, whether they experience opposite attractions. Or not. So, how can a person who experiences these homosexual inclina- inclinations, how can they live chastely? 
Well, so I think that there, when it comes to uh, thinking about the virtues, first we have to have a proper understanding of what the virtue is. Uh, uh, virtues, let, virtues play a couple of different roles in our lives. So let, let's first try to understand, help your listeners think a little bit about what virtue is. One way to understand virtue in, in very simple terms is to think about a person jumping out of an airplane. And they have a parachute on, but they've been trained to, uh, as they're coming down from the airplane, not to be rigid and stiff in their body as they're anticipating contact with the ground, but rather to relax and when they make contact with the ground, kind of roll through uh, that contact. Otherwise, if you're stiff and rigid when you hit the ground, there can be a snapping and breaking of bones and things, very painful. So if we could think of chastity in terms of realizing that there are things that we may come into contact with that uh, could spark some uh, feelings that would not be helpful, we want to uh, uh, think in these terms of kind of a shock absorber, that I will be uh, uh, not overcome and overwhelmed by what I see. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, I can put myself in harm's way. No, that's, that's not it. We, you know, we have to avoid occasions of sin. But we don't, but we don't want to be tense either. Uh, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see how Jesus was always at ease in his own skin, so to speak. And, and, and virtue is like a second skin. It brings a kind of ease, a peacefulness. Augustine called um, this the, uh, the order of love. This is what, what, what uh, virtue is. It, it helps us to love properly. All right. So first we have to have this understanding of the virtue. We live in a fallen world. We need virtues because we're going to come up against circumstances which are, are, are going to be difficult and demanding. But really the greater part of the virtue is that which helps us to fulfill our heart in self-giving. The other great quoted line from uh, Vatican II is, man finds himself in making a gift of himself. We find uh, fulfillment of the heart in self-giving. So. The, the virtue of chastity helps uh, us to find that self-giving, guide self-giving according to our state in life, uh, in accordance with God's wise design for human intimacy and love, that uh, man is created for woman, woman is created for man, the two lead their parents, become one flesh, that this, this union is now permanent, it is exclusive, uh, and it is to be fruitful. When we understand these things, then we see that chastity is much more than a restraint or some kind of a clamp or an abstinence. No, we see it in the context of God's plan. And then, of course, we need grace. This is not something that we can just do on our own by an act of will. We need the sacraments. We need prayer. We need some moderate discipline and penance. But we also need people around us to encourage. And we have to be sensible about the things that we watch and the things that we touch and uh, the things that we eat and drink, because all of those things could inflame the passions, yes. But really, chastity is not loving well, according to our state in life. I hope that helps explain things a little bit. Yeah, that definitely does, uh, Father Paul. Certainly, you know, controlling those passions and then putting those passions of chastity into something, something beneficial. Uh, which is some great points that we actually heard last week uh, with Jason Everett. But I do want to bring oh, yeah. up this. I, I did hear this statistic, and I, I want to hear what uh, you get out of this. I heard that 90% of church going, so this isn't just Catholics, 
Uh, 90% of church-going people who experience the attractions of homosexuality get more persecution from the gay pride movement than from other Christians. I mean, so that just puts these these people in kind of a pinch, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I think from what I read, especially in com boxes, which is not always the most edifying and uplifting uh, uh, reading that one can do, that there is uh, probably within some portion of you know what you've called the gay community, and I understand what that means, um, a, a bad spirit, a lack of generosity towards people who have chosen to live in a different way. It's as though men and women of courage or people who would be sympathetic to us are somehow betraying uh, uh, the movement. And that's, that's of course, not fair. Um, even from the standpoint of tolerance and diversity, you have to be able to say, well, look, if you're choosing to live over here according to your lights, please respect our conscience for living the way that we think is correct. But sometimes that kind of courtesy or reciprocity is not granted. And I do think that our people who make public uh, statements, testimonials, witness talks, uh, are, are vulnerable to a real kind of lack of courtesy, concern, and we would say charity. Um, but you know, they're very, uh, uh, the, the, our people who, who, who make uh, a public witness and testimonials in different places are, are, are a beautiful mix themselves of courage and humility, and they're willing to accept this suffering for the love of the Lord. Certainly. And, and let me just tell you, I think on the list of heroic things that you can do for the Catholic Church, being homosexual, homo, being, having these homosexual feelings, and staying with the Catholic Church, being chaste, I'm telling you, that, that's one of the most heroic things I think any man or any woman could ever be bestowed. And that, that is an honor that truly will be repaid in heaven. And uh, right. I think a, a big part of this somewhat of the gay pride movement's shaming of those who remain chaste to the church is, is this idea of tolerance. And the, the whole thing is, I think mis, people are missing the mark on this, is that just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you hate them. I mean, look at no. look at what Mother Teresa did in New York City when the AIDS epidemic bro- broke out and they needed hospices for gay men and women who had contracted AIDS. The first hospice made was made by Mother Teresa. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you look, no one does it better than the Catholic Church and tolerance. Yeah. No, I think that's well said. Um uh, the, the the maternal charity that the church feels deeply uh, for all of God's children, uh, uh, and especially those who are estranged from the church, that maternal charity is very real, and it, it and it expresses itself, John, as you said, in particular ways. In this case, a corporal work of mercy. The Church recognizes that our fallen human nature is, is makes us vulnerable to do things that can be self-destructive, and especially when we're thinking about love, because everyone wants to love and be loved and to know and be known intimately and personally. These, those, those promptings interiorly are part of what define us as human, 
And so we can make mistakes, and that's not to soften the danger of sin by any means. These things are dangerous, and, and, and we know sin can result in a loss of grace and perhaps even in a loss of the soul, as, as the Catechism tells us. But that doesn't mean that the, the Church's maternal charity uh, 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 stops. And I think one thing that we're going to see, and that we do see throughout human history, is that whenever freedom has been abused in any way, whether it's Sixth Commandment questions, chastity questions or not, but whenever freedom is abused, who is it that's there on the other side of the abused freedom to look after and take care of people who have suffered because of their choices? It's the Catholic Church. It's the Catholic Church that welcomes people back to Christ and then washes them uh, free of the burden uh, and pain of sin in the confessional. It is the Church that lifts the burden of guilt uh, and pain that follows from what can even be a, a, a misspent life. How many stories do we have of, of conversions that come right at the end when people are facing death, and they know that they haven't lived well? So, I mean, a message that I would like to give to people is, look, if you disagree with the Church now, maybe that won't always be the case. And maybe some of the people who are around you now encouraging you to live in a certain way, will they be there on the other side of a change of heart? Will they be there to be able to assist you to find your way back to Christ? The Catholic Church will be. And uh, one of the things I'd like to recommend is that people watch our movie, The Desire of the Everlasting Hills, which you can find it online at everlastinghills.org. These are three of our people telling their stories, and two of them recount their confessional experiences when they finally came back after, say, 35 years of being away, and how magnificent it was when uh, they received absolution and the peace uh, that flooded their souls uh, as a result of that encounter with, with Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. And, you know, you had mentioned that who's the first person to show up when there's misjustice done, and it is the Catholic Church. I mean, you look at what we have done across the world, whether it's in the neighborhoods, whether it's in a different continent like Africa or Asia, these places where poverty, it's written everywhere, there's a lot of sinning going on there too, and who's on the front lines? It's the Catholic Church. Moral, you can say Christianity, but who's at the forefront? And that's the Catholic Church. And I think a, a great person who has been supporting those who have these homosexual attractions who are trying to stay chaste of the church, it's Pope Francis. I think he has mm -hmm. revolutionized the way that a lot of people look at the Catholic Church on the topic of homosexuality. Yes. Well, and uh, I think in his book called uh, The Name of God is Mercy, he makes the particular point that uh, we shouldn't be categorizing people again uh, as homosexuals. Uh, rather, this thought that we do not define people uh, by their by their sexual inclinations. No, God loves them as individual uh, uh, men, women created in His own image and likeness. Definitely. Well, we're slowly running out of time here uh, on this segment of homosexuality. Joined wonderfully by Father Paul Check of Courage. Could you just give our listeners uh, just a little word of advice or? Uh, a statement to say for those who do feel that they have homosexual attractions and are wondering if they can can come to the church. Sure. Well, uh, so my predecessor in this job, I mentioned him earlier in your program, John Father John Harvey, 
used to say that our best ambassadors, the Church's best ambassadors on this topic, are members of Courage. So what I would say is on our website, CourageRC for Roman Catholic, CourageRC.net or .org, we have a lot of testimonials, audio form, video form, also printed. I think someone who is in this situation of questioning, read or listen to or watch what our people say and see if any of it resonates. Definitely. And hopefully for all those listeners out there, they keep that in mind. But we are out of time here on the first segment of this uh, topic of homosexuality and courage. Could you please give us a, a final blessing as we move on in the show? Sure. Through the intercession of Our Lady, who is Queen of Peace and Cause of Our Joy, through the intercession of St. Joseph, may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Father Paul. Check, Please check out the website, Courage. Also check out that movie that was mentioned, The Everlasting Hills. Please check it out and always pray. Always pray for those who experience homosexual attractions and are trying to stay chaste to the church. So hang with us here on Christ's New Generation. We're having a priest come in. We're going to have a topic of faith. And we're also going to have a little Lexi of So hang with us here on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. I'm your host, John Collin. This is Christ's New Generation. Hi, I'm Doug Berry from Life on the Rock. The importance of Catholic Radio cannot be underestimated. This is a medium that can reach into the hearts and the minds and the vehicles of individuals at any given time or day. This is one of those ways that we can reach hearts and souls that are hurting and that need to know the grace, the strength, the healing power of Christ. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois. 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Did you know you can listen to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio online? Visit WSFICatholicRadio.org and click on Listen Live. That's WSFICatholicRadio.org and click on Listen Live. Good evening and welcome back to this episode of WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. This is Christ's New Generation. So here in the second segment of our show, we are coming on to the topic of the Eucharist. And I'm wonderfully joined by Father Robin Kwan. Father, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, John? I'm doing quite well here. So the topic of the Eucharist, it's one of the most pivotal parts of our faith. Last week we talked about the Mass, now big of a part the Eucharist plays in it. So we'll just jump in right now. And Father, can you please tell us what is the Eucharist? Okay, well, it is the central sacrament of our faith, and it's the Jesus Christ himself, the body and blood and soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. And so it is, you know, at the center of our Catholic faith, Catholic practice, Catholic worship, because um, it is Christ who is truly present there in, in the Holy Eucharist under the outward appearances of bread and wine. So you have here, 
you know, this great mystery that we have, but also at the very core of really our Catholic faith. And and really, it, it it's the, the center of our Catholic spirituality. So you're thinking about that, you know, this is, it's just a mystery to, you know, to talk about, but it's, it is, it is, it is a great honor to, to be able to, um, to be in the presence of that Lord we come to come to before every Mass, whom we worship, whom we adore, and Blessed Sacrament, and and whom we unite ourselves to in the Holy Sacrifice, you know, in the offering ourselves to the Father in Mass. Certainly. So, obviously, the Eucharist, we believe, is that God put into bread that becomes his body and God put into wine and which becomes his blood. So a big question that many skeptics will ask, well, who instituted the Eucharist? Hmm. Yeah, right, right. So there are many Protestants who would say, what is this? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, yeah, and this is idolatry. Um, you know, and, and certainly when you're raised in a Protestant church, you know, certainly that would be, you know, what you're taught about Catholics and that, you know, they're idolatry, uh, idolaters worship um, God in a piece of bread, you know, of course, you know, many of them receive communion in bread and wine, but, but, um, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, our Lord did say in all the Synoptic Gospels, you know, this is my body, this is my blood. And we just take him literally with that. And, uh, and we, of course, John chapter six, you know, we have very clear teaching about the Christ being present in the bread and the wine and is the promise of his gift of himself in the Holy Eucharist and you know it's saying that he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood you know and repeating that over and over and over to to his disciples you know that teaching about that consuming his flesh and consuming his blood in order to receive eternal life and so we believe this on you know his words and and we believe that, in fact, you know, from a, a reading of John chapter six, that it actually it is, fact, you know, from that discourse, it is about him in the Eucharist giving himself his flesh and his blood, but united with his, you know, soul and his divinity, because, you know, it's the risen Christ, the total, total Christ. So we're not cannibals, you know, in the sense mm-hmm. that we we just, you know, we're eating the bloody, you know, it's bloody eating of Christ's body and blood. But it's actually we're eating his risen body and his risen blood, and and actually it's along with souls the whole Christ, because everything in Christ is united, right? So in the risen Christ, and so instead of being assimilating him into us, we are assimilated into him, because you know as, as um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that. It's the lower forms that are incorporated into the higher forms of life. And so it is that when you know, we receive a piece of meat, we consume it, it's assimilated into us. But when we assimilate Christ, it's actually he's assimilating us because it's the higher life that we're being assimilated into in that. And so it is something, it's very clear in John 6 that it's our Lord meant it literally that in fact, if he did meant it only symbolically that this was his body and blood, he would clarify that teaching to those disciples who left him, you know, those disciples who were questioning him and were rejecting his teaching. You know, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Christ says, he doesn't say, well, hey, this is just a symbol. You know, this is just a symbol of, of the sac- of what I'm giving you. But actually, this is literally, he, he repeats, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life eternal. And, and so that is the case that that we take him for his word and we believe it on faith. And this is something also can see in the witness of, you know, the early church, the fathers of the church, 
and in speaking of you know the Holy Eucharist, but also you know in tradition as well, and and as well as far as the practice of keeping our Lord in in the Blessed Sacrament, you know, and uh, for the sick and and to be given to the sick. So we hold this as as Christ as words, you know, and. But also, you know, it, it, we hold it too that it's not a cannibalism, but it's actually an incorporation into Christ's mystical body and, and a deeper union intimacy with him, you know, through that. Certainly. And I, I have actually never heard of that, how we assimilate actually into him. Yeah. I, I really like that. Yeah. Uh, I like that metaphor. But you had also mentioned there's that symbolism aspect, yeah. and that's, that's the aspect that most Protestant churches take when looking at the Catholic Church and how we use the Eucharist, they say, all right, they take it literally, we take it as a symbol. But can you tell us what actually happens at the moment of transubstantiation? Okay, so at the Mass, you know, when it comes to time of consecration where the uh, priest, you know, says the words of institution, you know, and, and he says, this is my body and this is my blood. Well, what's happening is this, that, and of course this is all, you know, a mystery. We can't, you know, completely comprehend this. However, we do know from the teaching from that's been passed down through the wisdom of the saints, the doctors and theologians who are uh, saintly and um, you know Saint Thomas, you know, and the doctrine, and then the doctrine has some substantiation. We talk about the um, as the church teaches, you know, the the changing of the substance of the bread and the wine into the substance of the body and blood of Christ. So the what happens is think of a cat. Um, you can look at a cat, you know, you can look at its its color, you can look at its size, you can look at, you can, you can you know, pet it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but what's the substance of the cat? But it's, it, it, when I see a cat, my mind grasps the substance from those, let's say, we call in um, philosophy, the accidents or the, let's say, the qualities of the cat or the, you know, the quantitative features of the cat. And so I grasp that this is a cat and, and we call what uh, the substance of cats, we call it, you know, you could say catness or this, it's this, that which by means I say, this is a cat, you know, and that's the substance. And what, what happens is that with every, every living thing, everything that exists, that you know, on independently, it's a substance that contains accidents. And so, like for example, you, um, you know, this table that's in front of me, you have the substance of a table, but you know, with accidents of its color, its size, and and such. All right, so it looks, you know, it looks all that everything appears to me, you know, a table, and so I grasp that this is the nature of a table. Now, with the Holy Eucharist, it's kind of a miracle in this regards because what happens is. Everything in terms of accidents, so let's say the, in terms of the, the appearance of the bread, the, um, you know, the, the grittiness of the bread, the, the color, the shape, those accidents remain. But our Lord says, this is my body. And so we believe it as word by faith that, in fact, this is Jesus Christ, you know, the substance of Jesus Christ's body. And united with that, his whole blood, soul, and divinity, and everything, the whole Christ, in that tiniest piece of bread. And yet, all, we also believe, too, as well, that, well, we also believe that in the, um, also in the words of consecration with the wine as well, and we believe that the accidents, the taste of the wine, the, the, um, the color, the, the red, and the, you know, and the, um, you know, it's liquid, you know, state, that's, those outward forms remain, but, but it's that substance that is transformed into his blood, precious blood, you know, the price that is paid for our redemption. 
So we believe that, that you know, this is the whole Christ present there. And there's this mystery there because there's a mystical, it's a shedding of his blood. And since the, the separate consecration of the, the body, uh, or the bread and the wine to the body and blood of Christ, it represents, it symbolizes the, you know, it's like, the, you could say it's the uh, sacramental uh, separation of his body and blood, you know, because it's the same sacrifice as we believe, because, you know, the same sacrifice as Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. And he's, you know, the one sacrifice offered for all time. Uh, it says in the letter to the Hebrews to be offered for all time for, and that we do this in continuation of Christ's commandment to do that. And so there's one sacrifice, you know, being offered, but perpetuated, you know, and, you know, through the ministry of the priesthood. And, and so through the words of consecration, we bring about the priest, you know, through his the instrument of the priest, um, Christ is the one who, you know, transforms, you'd say, and, and brings about, you know, re represents that same sacrifice on Calvary in before us in that mystical sacramental um, signs of, of the uh, words of consecration. Certainly. And as part of the Paschal mystery, mm -hmm. the Eucharist is one of those aspects that we can't comprehend through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We mm -hmm. just can't comprehend it. Right. And what I've heard is that, or one of the reasons that as here on earth we can understand it, mm -hmm. the Eucharist, is at the fall of humanity, we ate the apple. Mm -hmm. To regain ourselves back mm -hmm. into the relationship with Christ, we had to eat mm -hmm. his body and drink mm -hmm. his blood. Mm -hmm. So it's that eating mm -hmm. aspect, how mm -hmm. we rejected God's truth yeah. by eating at rel relativistic aspects, all that jazz. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to get back in, we have to eat mm -hmm. truth, which is Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a beautiful way to describe it. And you know, and as we'll you know reflect on more about the um, the words of our Lord about you know in, in the discourse on that on the Eucharist, you know, it, it's it's truly a, a most a wonderful expression of God's wisdom that He would you know use to um, to communicate. Our desire, you know, and hunger, you know, and, and thirst for our Lord, you know, in the precious body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and 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 for His divine truth and divine love, you know, and in the communion with the, our Lord that brings us into the full communion, the Trinity that we're called to, that that uh, fullness of life and love and the divine life. So that's it's it is um, such a mystery, and 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 I think that's one of the things that um, you know Protestants who come to understand that and begin to grasp that the mystery, something of the mystery, they'll find out what they're missing, you know, what they're missing, mm -hmm. the central aspect of our faith. It's something so transforming for our spiritual lives, you know, and, and they have the Bible, but, but they, you know, it's the Eucharist that really, you know, is fulfilled in, you know, in the scriptures, you know, as, um, you know, as, as um, you know, the disciples said at the road of Emmaus, you know, our, we're not hearts burning at the breaking of the bread, you know, our Lord opened up the word, but it led to the consummation that holy, the holy Eucharist, and just, you know, and in the sense of um, recognizing him in the breaking of the bread, you know. And so it is the case that it's the fullness of um, our faith, or you know, the, that sacrament perfection and of love, and, and it's really it's such a school of love of, of to learn to grow in to knowledge of divine things and, and love of divine things, you know, and love of our Lord, you know. And so it's it's something that um, we've, I think, you know, as Catholics, we've taken for granted too much, you know, and as far as treating it like you know just a piece of bread and treating it just like just as something that, you know, 
as a symbol and as you know many protestants do and and so you know our lives aren't defined by that and so there's there's a treasure there waiting to be unearthed and waiting to be assimilated into our hearts in a sense that in our minds and our hearts to to transform us and that to let the truth and the love that flows from that sacrament transform us you know and you know and so our lives should be that that it's being informed by the eucharist that it that it guides us in the way we worship guides us in the way we live and um because you know you have the perfect model of the christian life in jesus and the holy sacrament of the eucharist you know perfect example of um, divine mercy god's mercy and and generosity and humility and mercy a meekness you know um, but but a kind of um, inviting us to to be transformed in him certainly and many people will ask where's proof for this belief that god comes down into the into the body and blood mm-hmm. of christ and you know, there's there's that beautiful quote I love from Stuart Clause, for those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. But God still kind of gives us those little hints mm-hmm. of, yes, I'm in mm-hmm. the body and blood. And mm-hmm. one of one of the ways he does it is through Eucharistic miracles, one of the most recent, mm-hmm. and the Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit of how much why God gives us these little hints here and there that, yeah, I'm still in the Eucharist? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Satan is, you know, he continues... God allows him to continue to work his diabolical plan of trying to take down as many souls as he can. And, and one of the ways he does that is through disbelief and through um, immoral living and, and through immoral living, you know, to, through that, that disbelief. And, you know, and, and I think one of the things that our Lord in his providence for, has foreseen is, you know, that, um, that there, there's this lack of faith, you know, as a result of that, the hardness of heart, you know, regarding uh, our Lord and the belief in our Lord and his words, you know, just as there has been this, you know, in the institution, you know, the Holy Eucharist and in, in the promise of that in um, John chapter 6, there were those who didn't believe him. There are still many who disbelieve him and, and many who take him for granted. And so these miracles, you know, they're given to us. Eucharistic miracles throughout history have been, you know, given to us in, to, in order to, you know, just, just to reawaken that faith, reawaken that belief in the, the real presence of Christ. And we see today, you know, how, you know, as far as you know, what we hear about in terms of surveys and, and about how many Catholics believe in the real presence of Christ, well, it's, you know, it's pretty small, you know, 30% maybe, you know, or, but, you know, we believe in the, the, you know, the true Catholic teaching about the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. So, you know, these miracles are given to us to just awaken that faith, you know, awaken that uh, belief in the uh, in this essential teaching of um, in our church and and you know then that's meant to transform us so the miracle you were speaking of is, is something more recent and maybe you know I'm, I'm not too familiar myself mm-hmm. but maybe you can describe that for us yeah basically what happened was a, a host fell on the ground uh, the priest retrieved it after mm-hmm. uh, one of the members of the lady had informed him and one of the common practices when you find a host on the ground is to put it into holy water uh, put in the tabernacle and wait for it to dissolve. Well, mm-hmm. a week later, mm-hmm. the priest opened up the tabernacle to found that the host had actually started to bleed. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh my gosh, this is happening. So they put this into distilled water and they waited to get approval from one of the bishops at the time of the diocese, which would actually become our Pope, Pope Francis. And Pope Francis said, all right, let's get this scientifically looked at. 
Mm-hmm. It took a long process of about three years, but finally they were able to get it to a scientist. Mm-hmm. They looked at it. They didn't tell him where it came from. They just said, we uh, we got this piece of flesh. Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. And they said, basically, it, it had come from the left ventricle of the heart. Mm-hmm. And it's a piece of heart. It's mm-hmm. alive right now. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be. It's mm-hmm. Usually this piece of heart usually lasts about three minutes and then passes away. Mm-hmm. And then told them that this is a, this is a host. This is a, a consecrated host. And it's been it's been doing this for about three years. And one of the, the doctor at the time, Doctor Zugaba, had said how and why a consecrated host would change its character and become a living human. Flesh and blood will remain an inexplicable mystery wow. to science, a mystery totally beyond mm-hmm. her competence. So that mm-hmm. just kind of shows the the intensity and power that we have in the Eucharist. But you actually you would actually mention John chapter 6. Yes. And we're just going to transition in Lexa Divina right now. Okay. And so we're actually going to look at one of my favorite verses uh, in the gospel because it mentions the Eucharist, uh, John chapter 6, verse 35 to 40. So I'll read through it first. Mm-hmm. Then Father Ron will kind of take it through nice, a little bit more slowly so we can really dissect what God is trying to tell us here. Jesus said to him, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day for it is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day and so we hear in the beginning Jesus saying to them I am the bread of life and so he who comes to me shall not hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst you know and and you can think of it as um, how God created us in our human nature and he created us with a body and to seek nourishment uh, for with food and drink and in that nourishment uh, he gives us this corresponding hunger and corresponding thirst to quench the thirst and to you know sate our stomachs so that we can in fact uh, be nourished in the Lord and and to be received what he has given to us uh, in a similar way you know the human heart is the center of the human person, you know, the, the seat of the passions and the, um, the intellect and the will. You know, there's the corresponding desire for the infinite and, um, you know, the hunger and a thirst for divine knowledge and divine truth and uh, divine love. And so, you know, he made us with hearts that, you know, seek the infinite. And, uh, and nothing will quench that thirst, nothing will satisfy that hunger except for God and His love and His truth. And so it is the case that in this great sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, that God comes to us in a human, you know, in a very mystical way, in the, that hidden form of bread, in, that, in you know, the um, outward form of wine, and to give Him Himself, His very self, and to communicate to us himself, his love, his infinite love to us, um, so that we would not hunger or thirst anymore, but that we experience the fulfillment of all desire in receiving him in Holy Communion, in adoring him in the Blessed Sacrament, in in a contemplative union with him through our um, life of prayer before him in the Blessed Sacrament, and to worship 
and, and, and united with him in the adoration um, of the Father, you know, with him. And so we have this blessed sacrament that is given to us and that the Father has sent to us. And you know, it says that all that the Father uh, gives to me shall come to me, and him who comes to me I shall not cast out. He came down from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. And so he was sent by the Father to do the Father's will, that is to lay down his life for us. And he continues to make present that same sacrifice of, you know, giving himself up to us in the Holy Eucharist, the complete gift of himself to us, and uh, and his complete gift of himself to the Father. So the Father sent him down to draw sinful mankind back up to the Father. So he sent him down and and in humble you know humbling himself to take on the form of human flesh in the incarnation and then drawing us out of the depths of sin and join us to union with him so that he can raise us up back to the father he says that um you know i come to draw all things to myself and so this is the promise and and that you know it leads to uh, the fulfillment of god's will that this is the will of him who sent me the father that i not should lose nothing of what he has given me but i should raise it up on the last day Wonderful. That's absolutely beautiful. But we've actually ran out of time here for the second segment. But hang with us. We do have a testimony from one of the youth in our area. But before any of that comes, we have to hear a final blessing. All right. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, all the angels and saints, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and may you forever. Well, thank you very much, Father Robin Kwan, for joining us. It has been a wonderful segment here on the Eucharist, so hang with us here on WSFI 80.5 FM Catholic Radio. We've got a little bit more here on Christ's New Generation. Hang with us. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. WSFI is on social media. Follow us on Twitter at WSFIFM and like us on Facebook by searching for WSFI Catholic Radio. Did you know you can listen to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio online? Visit WSFICatholicRadio.org and click on Listen Live. That's WSFICatholicRadio.org and click on Listen Live. Welcome back to this episode of Christ's New Generation here on WSFI 80.5 FM Catholic Radio. As we come down to the waning moments of the show, I'm joined wonderfully by Nicholas Roman Algram from St. Paul Parish. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well here. We just heard a great talk from Father Juan on Eucharist and what he had to say on that. But we're going to bring into a little bit of testimony and we're going to hear from what Nick has to say. So, Nick, how long have you been Catholic? All right. Well, I was born and raised a Catholic. I started taking church a lot more seriously, though, once I got through our youth group in our church. I think it was at that point where I kind of stepped up and embraced the faith. Awesome. And uh, I, know, I know there at the youth group, you're very involved also with the choir. Mm-hmm. So the choir music has always been a pretty big part of my life. And especially through church, I sang through the church choirs when I was young. And, you know, it was 
you know, when I was younger, it was just this annoying thing that mom used to drag me to. But as I got older, I really got into it because it kind of hit me that music, in a sense, is like praying. It's when you're singing praise, you're you're singing to God, in a sense, and you kind of forget everybody's there and you're put in this like holy moment. And, you know, I just love, love that. Certainly. And you'd mentioned sings like prayer was well, actually uh, sings like praying twice. Uh, the great quote from St. Augustine. So obviously you use song as a way to, to help push your faith into the, into the right direction. But what other ways do you maintain a relationship with God? What are some of your other prayer habits? Well, I, you know, I say my prayers every night and I try to go to early morning mass when I can. I think it's just a good way to stay refreshed. And, you know, my youth minister, John Blevins, he made a point in saying that there's almost no excuse to not go to church every Sunday. And, you know, when I went to Hawaii, too, we found a Catholic church and went there. And I think that's that's just a really important thing to always go to church because putting in that one hour is really important to establish, like, a healthy relationship with God. It's also really important to be Catholic outside of church as well. Like, your mission doesn't end in church. It's supposed to go out into the public. So it's, Certainly, and yeah. Catholic means universal, so you mm-hmm. can find a church absolutely anywhere. Exactly. Like yeah. Hawaii, it's, it's very global. So how have you seen your faith affect others? You know, as I said, you're very prominent in the St. Paul's youth group. You're a great singer in, in the choir, also Thank a great you. guitarist. Um, but, you know, whether it be through the youth groups, meetings, the mission trips, or just the everyday interactions, how do you see your faith affect others? Well, I know that I've been trying to get my family, uh, my younger siblings, a lot more involved in church. And I think it's a great thing, too, because we've kind of established this holy relationship in our household. And I think it's a great thing to talk about church to your peers and not be afraid to do that. And I think through our youth group and being able to like comfortably talk to peers that are there, I felt more comfortable talking and expressing my faith and beliefs to peers at school. And I think that's another way of expressing my faith and seeing other people like come to our youth group because of like talks and, you know, sometimes it's a little convincing, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's still a great thing to see them come in. Also, NCYC, I went there last um last november and that was life-changing uh, there's something about seeing twenty-six thousand kids in absolute silence from all walks of life uh, at the cross and that's just you know that just shows me that you know what i'm doing and what every catholic on this like on this planet is doing is really making a difference in this world because we're all here like united for peace and it's a great thing I've heard great things from NCYC too, but for those listeners who don't necessarily know what it is, why don't you just give a brief description? About yeah, it? so NCYC is the National Catholic Youth Conference. Uh, it's hold, it's held uh, every other year, and basically around twenty-five thousand teens come in from across the country and worship, and it is a beautiful thing. We have last year it was at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, and it was packed. And, you know, you have youth groups from all over the country just singing songs, and we have an adoration and a huge mass, and everybody, everybody, it's like a huge family of Catholics. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. It's beautiful. That's just absolutely wonderful. And, you know, I've heard, it sounds like it's very similar to Steubenville Conferences. Oh, yeah. Many people yep. Into. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's but, uh, a week. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we're winding down on the time on the show, so I've got one last question for you. Absolutely. Where do you see your faith going? I honestly hope to hold my faith until the day I die, and I hope to continue to spread the word of God through my children and through my peers around me. 
hopefully one day I can get involved in a like be a be an adult leader in a youth group because I think that's really important to get the new generation involved in our faith. Inspiring, truly inspiring youth generation like Christ's new generation here. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have here on Christ's New Generation's episode this week. Please tune in to other episodes. Again, you can hear this on the podcast or any previous episodes. So that is all that I have. I've been your host, John Collin. Please have a wonderful week and may God bless you and keep you.